Hi folks, I'm Rick Hollis. Welcome to Chit Chats with Git Cats number 10. Today's guest is an icon of pop music in Australia who first came to prominence as lead singer for Radio Darling's Kids in the Kitchen at the ripe old age of just 17. And he didn't turn out an absolute cockhead like Justin Bieber. I'm gonna have to pick, him, pick his brains and find out what his mama taught him to turn out a good guy. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Scott Kahn. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Rick. Uh, finally. <laughs> hey, a bit of a round of applause there. From playing gigs together to now doing interviews together. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Mate, um, yeah. how's things in your neck of the woods? I'm hearing a bit of a bleed from somewhere. I'll just make sure that's all turned down. That's not for me. That's fine. Uh, that's for me, how's is things, it? buddy? Yeah, things are good. Things are great. Um, you know, just uh, obviously... You know, with this current situation, I don't really want to get into that. It's the same for everybody. But, um, no, we're doing fine down here and, um, you know, nice part of the world down here on the Mornington Peninsula. So, um, yeah, it could be worse, Great, mate. say. Mate, I am hearing just a little bit of an echo. I'm just trying to pick where that's coming from before I lose my mind, but I think I just found it. All good. Oh, cool. That's that one right there. Scott. It's, it's what pseudo echo, was it? It was a pseudo echo. It was a pseudo echo, but I've just killed it. So, Scott, how the hell does a 17 year old guy in Australia become a national popcorn icon in the 80s, mate? What, what was the story there? Fill us in. Well, there's, there's no rhyme or reason, but I think um, it's the right, it's one of those scenarios, the right time at the right place. You know, music was making a big shift from the, the pub rock sound, and then, you know, with, um, <clears throat> with Countdown kind of kind of, and the UK sound picking up an MTV and whatnot, um, you know, the, the haircut band started up and the, the, the new romantic scene, the post-punk scene started and um, and we were amongst that. And, we, you know, uh, there were, and what happened was, you know, Duran Duran and Simple Minds and all those bands, you know, um, Ultravox, whatever, all those kind of bands were coming out of the UK and kind of smashing it. Uh, with their, you know, you know, fab videos and, you know, uh, and the whole deal. And um, I was, we were really, really influenced by it all. So, you know, and so we kind of started writing music and thinking not, not much of it, you know, got a couple of gigs. Um, uh, on a third gig, we uh, got a manager. Um, and then Real Life, you know, my good friend David Steary from Real Life. Real Life got signed um, and they had a smash hit with Semi and Angel. And what a song. At, yeah, that's right. And that kind of set up, you know, the A&R guys were kind of looking for the next, you know, real life, so to speak, around around Australia. So suddenly, you know, they were out the traps, all the, you know, the city gigs with the jump club in Collingwood. That's one of the one of our favourites or Macy's or whatever it was we all played at. Um, you know, seven nights a week, in fact, you know, you could do a gig. Um, not that there was much money in it, yeah. um, but, uh, but we, you know, we, everyone was working, you know, bands did four nights a week, you know, seven nights a week, I think bands were playing and, and you know, Saturday afternoons and Sunday afternoons, and there was you know, um, there was you know four or five bands a night, new bands, and people would go out and listen to like new music, you know, and um, and they would embrace it because you know, and, and you know, finding out that you know some some something some new kind of band to follow, and um, so the cover band scene wasn't really, really kind of you know, a current thing. It was kind of like it was a very bit of a no no. Um, so you know, we were we were playing a couple of gigs, and uh, you know, real life got signed, and then. I think within about, you know, two months after we started playing some gigs, um, we got um, poached by Mushroom Records, uh, Michael Kadinsky down there. At that stage, I think it was Neil Bradbury uh, from White Label, which is a sub of, subsidiary of, um, of Mushroom, which had Hunters and Collectors and 
um, a couple of other bands, but it, and I, I don't know why we kind of didn't really fit that bill. We're a bit too poppy for them, but for that label. But hence we got signed to that label. And um, before that, we did a you know the the the, uh, the closing deal was doing it. We went and did a demo one night, you know, in the graveyard session <clears throat> with um with Lobby Lloyd at Richmond Recorders, and uh, you know kind of you go in at midnight and come out at, you know seven a.m. and um, with a demo. Nice. And um, and we basically from that session we got deal and um, released our first song. It was all happening really fast, and you know had our first manager release our first song. It just went bang, you know, like it just went viral, and you know just and the rest is history, so to speak. So back then, technology was such a big thing. Like um, it was all about the synth pop, drum machines. Was that a lot for you guys to take on back then? Like, did you hear that music and go, "We want to make that"? Okay, we've got a hell of a lot of learning to do, or. We just we didn't know. We kind of just locked ourselves in a room and kind of just you know just fleshed out and jammed around stuff. And I used to you know go back and work on lyrics and come back and you know and and you know the songs were kind of formed from a week to, a week to week basis. And you know this is we we basically got together once a week before we even did any gigs. You know this is like you know a year before we did gigs and didn't know what we had, what we were kind of cooking up. We just really dug what we were doing and we thought, well, it's about time to do a gig and. I think I got our first gig at the Champion Hotel and got friends came down and they were just busting a move and I thought, they said, this is great, guys, you should do more. And it's like, okay. And then, um, you know, as I said, because I used to kind of go frequent these, you know, not, uh, different venues and stuff, I hooked up with this guy called Terry Rogers, our first manager, and he took us under his wing and, um, and uh, you know, got us kind of, got us the kind of, to the deal level. And, um, yeah, and uh, so, you know, it's just a really – a colourful and great time for music. I mean, look, you know, there was no Netflix. There was nothing to do. You know, there's exactly. three, there was three television stations running. You know, you went to the movies. You know, you went out, you know, to the footy game or you went and saw a band or, went, you know, I went to the, you know, the disco, you know, and put yep. your bag on the floor and danced around that, you know. So it was, it was a time when it was just great to get out and have fun and no distractions, no selfies, nothing going on there, you know. I mean, you could get, we got away with murder, I've got to say, literally. Yeah, yeah, I um, so, um, so, you know, it was a, a great colourful time for, for, for music and also to, uh, but, you know, we were, we were still at the, um, still at the, you know, the mercy of record companies, you know. So if you didn't, you know, if you didn't get a record deal, you know, you didn't have a career. And that's the difference about what I really like now is the fact that now you can kind of, you know, release your music through different digital platforms um, yourself if you want, um, you know, or just, you know, it's kind of, you know, make it in your bedroom, it can, you know, and there's some great stuff coming out and the stuff that I listen to on a lot of streaming platforms now and um, that, that I love and get turned on to and, you know, you find music again. So it's kind of, it's great for discovering music and and for the music business as far as getting it wears out there you know in a global level but it's no good as far as the royalty factor so you know you know it's it's live music is where you where you make your living from and playing that stuff live um but it's kind of like it was anyway you know in the um in the in the 80s because you know you kind of find that you sign these record deals and somehow you haven't recouped you know your record you know you sign a bad record deal or just a you know they take advantage of your naivety these record companies and you find that you never really got any you know royalties from it you know and unless yeah unless unless you were you know unless you were kind of like a global phenomenon i know real life 
and they made a lot of money. But once again, you know, they got we've all got the same story. They got ripped off from their managers and record companies too. And, um, you know, it's, it's just it's a, that's what happened, you know. But um, but now it's, you know, now it's still got a career. It's out there playing and doing lots of different – I'm doing out there lots of different kind of things, lots of different hats. And um, it's great to still be working in the biz, you know. Yeah. So you say you're out there doing a lot of different things. One of those things is the Absolutely 80 show, which I feel very privileged that when you come to Queensland, you, you give me a call and – you're the man. You're, you're, the, you're the man for Queensland. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, um, but you've also got a few other things. You got a, a Queen tribute show. Yeah, well, what's well, what's well, more of a concept show? I mean, we we pay tribute to. Uh, it's called Kings of Queen. Yeah, um, and it's a bit like the Abbey show. We have you know featured guests come on and sing you know the back catalogue and stuff, and the the bands are always stellar. Um, it's about you know about sounding like the real thing. You know, we dress up a little bit and pay tribute to Freddie and you know tip our hat so to speak but we try you know we don't paint on moustaches and pretend to be that but um but that's a lot of fun you know and you know it's great and you know in recent years you know it's um we we put the kids in the kitchen again you know i mean you know and that's been fantastic therapy for us all so to speak and yeah. and good to get back together after all of the you know the dust settled and the wheels fell off because you know it was it was a it was a hard and fast journey you know with kids in the kitchen and yeah. You know, as I say, say in Spinal Tap, we travelled, we travelled the world and elsewhere, and um, and uh, you, you know when it came down, kind of finished, it was kind of like, uh, it was there was it was it was a bit bitter towards the end, not per- so much personally, but you know the the wash up and the kind of closing down of the business and the company and and debt and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, took its took its toll on us and put a bit of bad taste in our mouth. So if, you know, from then that point onwards, you know, um, I took a bit of a break and just went into the you know the behind the scenes. You know, had a recording studio and um, for a number of years, ten year, ten odd years. So, um, so yeah, you kind of reinvent yourself, you know. And I was, I wasn't willing to kind of pick up the shovel and go and do that, but I, I would have if I had to. But I had to reinvent myself, and I did. And I, luckily, I kind of came out unscathed, you know. Cool, cool. Well, mate, yeah. uh, I got to say, um, the first time I ever played a show with you, we um, got to the end of the night. We played the whole set list. You came yeah. over, you stuck your, your hand on my shoulder and you, you yelled in my ear over the, the, the music, mate, do you know how to play uh, Shook Me All Night Long by ACDC? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And you gave me the, uh, the, the double squeeze, which anybody knows is signal for go. And I'm like, okay. And I'm looking around thinking, who the hell's going to sing this? Uh, I'm looking around <laughs> because we also had Brian Mannix and Sean Kelly on the bill. And I'm looking at them going, I don't see them singing this. Don't see you singing this. And then the vocals go to kick in. And you, motherfucker, kick it with the, that's the best I've ever heard anybody sing that song. I've heard some people scream it. And I just like looked at you afterwards and went, hell, man, I where, didn't know you'd be able to pull that out. So Where, where, did, that, where did that come from? Where did from? that I come kinda, from? Yeah. <clears throat> exactly. I'm, I'm, you know, look, I'm, I'm very lucky to have the gift uh, of, of a great voice. And um, I never, you know, never, <laughs> never kind of take that for granted. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's. I didn't know. I didn't know I was a singer even, in, you know, back in the day at school, you know, you know, when I discovered, discovered, you know, that, you know, um, music, so to speak, I discovered music quite late at school. You know, the guy said to me in, the, you know, in one of the bands, he said, oh, I brought my bass along and, um, and I was pretty rubbish with that. And uh, he said, can you sing? I said, I don't know. I said, well, try. And I did. And I just, I was a really good screamer to the point where I sang so hard that, you know, I'd have like brain headaches after singing you know it was like you know and then um and then i developed a bit on the way and stuff like that but 
yeah, I'm very blessed to have the voice that I have, and uh, I just love it. I love this. I love singing, and um, and uh, and you know, at, at my age, still, I've still got it. You know, I've still got the voice. You know, I mean, I've still got some extra things I've got. To, I've got too, but you know, so that's, that's what comes with age. But happens to us all, mate. But, yeah. You know, a yeah. mate of mine says it's you know it's Carnsey, Barnsey, and Farnsey. So it's um. So you know, I have a lot of fun doing it, and and you know things like the the Queen show was a real test um, in, in a vocal ability, and the other singers we have in that show are fantastic too. You know, like Tim Watson from Taxi Ride, uh, Glenn Cunningham, he's a uh, one of the kind of voice stars, and he's the singer for the stars, BV singer, and you know you've got um, we've got Chris Tahiti from Geisha, Dale Ryder, of course, um, from Bean Crash Shopper, and you know the list continues. So that's a fun show with that, but. But, you know, for the last 14 years, what's really helped me too and helped the, helped the lovers is the Absolutely 80s show. You know, we've been doing that for 14 years now and, um, you know, with all the singers from the 80s and um, we have just a, the best time. You know, we have a lot of fun and we, we, we all share the same story. We all understand it. We don't, you know, there's no there's there's no real pre on stuff going on occasionally, you know, in the 14 years. Of course, there's going to be a little bit, but yep, yep. but um, but generally it's a, a well-oiled machine and we dig that and, um, you know, and, you know, just having a few different hats, you know, I mean, aside from, aside from, you know, doing the shows and the kids in the kitchen and, you know, I had this Priscilla's Nightmare thing in the, in the, in the 80s, which, um, we're just about to release a back catalogue um, EP on all the streaming sites, which, which is going to be fantastic. Um, uh, aside from all of that, you know, you know, you know, there's other stuff I have to do to survive too. You know, it's not just the live playing. You know, so I book entertainment and I do a bit of this and a bit of that. Um, never thought I'd be that guy, but I like to be in control of my destiny because for all those years I wasn't. Yeah. You know, the, the managers and the and and the, and and the, and the chain of <laughs> the chain of command were just kind of fleecing us really badly, and you know you. You'd work really hard and then have to go back on the road because, you know, you have to feed yourself, so to speak. So it was quite criminal what was going on back then. Um, hence me kind of taking the reins with, say, the Absolute Reality Show. Most of the shows I do, and just to make sure everyone gets looked after because that's that's what it's about, you know, you know, you know, treating people with respect and, um, and you know, and, you know, that's that's kind of where it's at, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. 80s. Speaking of Absolutely 80s, uh do you want to fill in the people just some of the uh, revolving lineup that you have involved in uh, Absolutely 80s? Because I, I got to say, when I come and play with you, I'm absolutely beside myself standing there playing and going, hey, I'm playing such and such a song, and that's actually blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. Who's some of the people you got on board for that one, mate? Oh, of course, the, uh, the Lair with Flair, Brian Mannix, and Dale Ryder from Boom Crash Opera. Um, in short, you know, the uh, ARIA Award winner, um, the only one amongst us, uh, Sean Kelly from The Models, um, you know, Ali Fowler from The Chantuzies and some of the other girls from, from The Chantuzies time to time come and play with us, like Eve and, and Tot. Um, and the list continues, you know, Freddie from The Machinations, um, Paul Norton, um, David Steary from Real Life, can't forget him. Um, and it's a kind of a revolving door. You know, we have we do other corporate kind of shows where, you know, Ross Wilson comes along and does something or, you know, there's that kind of, you know, calibre of artist that comes along and guests with us as well. You know, Mark from um, from Choir Boys has done stuff in the past as well. So, it's yeah, it's a revolving door. We have a lot of fun with it and it's a real good catch-up too, you know. It's kind of like, you know, when you go on the road and you go away for – we, we don't – too crazily like the old days, you know, we just go away for a, the weekend, you know, and kind of, you know, come back in a body bag after it. No, not really. But like it's, you know, Friday, Saturday night or Sunday and, you know, you kind of come back and it's great and you kind of get on with your week and and the next weekend you've got something else going on. So, um, 
yeah, it's um, it's it's a lot of fun. You know, it's uh, you know, to be working in that capacity and enjoying it, it's it's really important to me, and and I think it's very important to everyone else. I'm sure. Um, so you know, we've got great friendship, great kinship, um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just so much fun. You know, we're really blessed I, I, to have it. I gotta say, I have one problem with playing with you guys, and that is yeah. that my cheeks hurt. You guys, the way you take the piss out of each other on stage. I am just smiling so hard in between songs that I've never experienced this before. My cheeks hurting. It's, it's it is just gold. It, like seriously, the way you guys take the piss out of each other. Uh, so you've obviously all known each other for a long time. Yeah. Did you consider yeah. some of these people like rival bands back then, or was there more of a work together oh. mentality? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, you know, Brian comes up with a great analogy that, you know, back then we were playing for different football teams. You know, I was St. Kilda and he was Essendon. You know, we were really competitive and um and uh and envious and you know you know what are they doing what are they doing and you know and it wasn't you know and and because you didn't know each other you had you know you kind of conjured up this image of what these people were like and uh years later you know we're kind of retired in in the retired league so to speak and getting together it's um you know you you realize how 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 similar we are we all are you know yeah and um and that's the thing you know but um but I think that if the you know, managers realised we all got together and had a chat back then, uh, we'd, we'd probably work out that what was going on. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly, probably, exactly. so they wanted to keep the healthy competition between us all, I'm sure. You know, there's a little bit of that going on. So, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. So I, I just asked that question and, and Link, <clears throat> my friend, big fellow Link, just asked a similar question right around the same time. And yeah. he said, uh, for Scott, did any of the established big bands take you under their wing back in the 80s or was it every band for itself? So I just answered that second half, but was there any big bands that kind of took you guys under the wing? Well, we mainly in Australia, I mean, we did our little thing over overseas, you know, you know, we signed to Sire Records in New York and uh, in, and went to, you know, so went to the showcase show in New York, yeah, that is, and a few other things, but um, just showcase thingies and, you know, did all that MTV stuff over there and try to get it going over there. Um, <clears throat> but quite frankly, I don't think the record companies here really wanted us to leave. There's too much money. Once we left the shores, we weren't making money for them. So it wasn't really in their interest um, to have us kind of be, be a global success because, you know, they miss out on the most of the pie because, you know, we work the seven nights a week, yeah, you know. Yeah. And some of the, you know, and our record label had the, you know, had an agency as well, had everything going on. So they, you know, so they had a good lion's share of what we were earning. So, um, but in saying that, um, they did give us, they did throw, you know, they did give us a good run overseas to get things going. But back over here, we did a couple of, you know, you kind of do those, you know, now you've got Day on the Green and you've got these other things where people, you know, these collective lineups. But there's a few of those shows, but not a lot. Uh, they didn't really utilise the outdoor things so much. There's a few where you, we were on bills with the vinyls and and um, and other acts like that, um, uh, you know. But the one one I remember the most is and very fond of is um, our first ever East Coast tour. You know, it's changing me. Went up the charts, bang, and um, we became the uh, support act for models um, oh, cool. on their on their East Coast tour. You know, at, at that stage, James Ford was with them, Sean Kelly, Andrew Duffield. Uh, I think Roger might have been playing keyboards. No, no, no. It was it was Andrew Duffield? Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think. Oh yeah, uh, and Barton Price on drums. So that was the models lineup, and they were really great to us, and um, and a lot of fun, and um, you know, and yeah, it was just just a, a gas, you know, hanging out with those guys, you know, and um, and we did a couple of other things like that, but nothing more memorable than that run, you yeah. know. Yeah. 
and here I'm all these years later doing shows with Sean. You know, he's one of my one of my best friends, and um, he's a real sweetheart, and you know, a very talented musician. You know, mate, I haven't spent that much time with Sean. We just I did one run of shows with you guys, and he is completely different to what I imagined the guy that I picture in the models. I can remember yeah. hanging out with him. I'd be scratching yeah. my head, sort of going. Talking, talking to this guy, Sean, he's a lovely chap. I just cannot put in my head that that's the same guy. But yeah, you do find that though, that a lot of these people are absolutely lovely. Yeah, like, um, look, as I said, no one, no one we work with are kind of, you know, troublemakers or pains in the ass. you know. It's like otherwise we wouldn't be doing it. I mean, everyone, everyone values each other's um, friendship and um and you know it's an, it's an enjoyable thing. I mean, the great thing about the absolutely the 80s show, for instance, is like compared to our original bands, you're going to get on doing. You know, we we we'll start a show and you know come out and do two songs of our back catalogue songs each, and then you know and then that kind of thing rolls on, and then we might be a, a cover together, and then the second set we bring out the big guns, the big hits, you know, and, and it's on and off all, on and off stage. So from you know, so we have it's just as much. We're not on stage all the time, so we have just as much fun backstage that we do on stage, and getting on stage from backstage yeah. so it, it's you know it's it's kind of bedlam and craziness and you know you kind of go out with a big bang you know and you come back in and you know, get on the oxygen tank and then kind of go back out again so um yeah so it's a real wow factor that show and i i, I love it so it's and it's it's not unlike some of the other things that i'm doing now too which is kind of a great you know a, um, a great model for entertainment you know just you know within this kind of world of kind of you know short attention spans you know um you know, so uh, yeah, so yeah, it's just yeah, it's great to be have been in that situation to reinvent it. But um, and the musicians, you know, the musicians are fantastic. You know, we've got some great players. I mean, we've got a great Melbourne band. We look to make it affordable to, to tour. You know, you, you know, uh, we we and, and 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 the work the way we do. We have you know a, a backing band in every state, pretty much. And um, you know, so one in Melbourne and one in Sydney, one in Queensland, which you're involved with. I am. And and. And, you know, and so on and so on through other states. Um, and occasionally, you know, the big paying gigs will fly people in and do that kind of stuff. But it's great to also have that as well where, you know, you kind of get, you're checking in with people. You haven't checked in for a while. If you have a lot of fun, you know, everyone kind of, you know, you know does their best and uh, it's always a gas, you know. It's just keeps it just keeps it revolving, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I did say to you, Scott, before we actually went live that uh, it mm. really surprised me that, I learnt your songs off off the record and everything before I did my first show with you guys. But then um, when I actually went out there, you sing better now than back then. Like I listened to some of those notes and Kids in the Kitchen on Changing Mood, etc. And oh, it's a little pitchy there. Man, you fucking nail it now. So um, mm. how did you progress as a singer? Um, look, you know, I, I had singing lessons after I had, like, initially, you know, we had a first single come out. Suddenly we were working seven nights a week, you know, and um, <clears throat> and I was, like, kind of running out of steam with my voice, you know. I was like, God, I've got to get sort out something. So I went and had some singing lessons, the breathing technique things going on, and um, I did that. I, I don't do a lot of scales. I don't, pra- I don't I, you know, just a little vibration warm-up thing, a little... <laughs> thing you know yeah, um yeah. They blew out the microphone then but just a vibrating thing and and i just know where to pitch and sing and and, and over time because I, not only that i haven't really stopped singing for the whole my whole career i mean i you know i started when i was 17 18 and you know i'm kind of you know in my mid mid 50s now so it's quite a long time of singing i had a, a bit of a hiatus in the 90s when you know 
you know, no one would want to know about you in the nineties. You know, you kind of do you know yeah. in the corner of the corner of the bar playing yeah. a guitar or something. Yeah. Um, but that's when I had the studio basically and did all that stuff. But but yeah, I kind of hadn't hadn't lost it, and um, and I just got it, and because I started listening to so much just different kind of music when I was you know like I went from, you know, being in the eighties listening to 80s music then to kind of going to the 90s and kind of going through the, that whole Manchester scene and stuff like that and, you know, I went and recorded a couple of singles for my solo career and got caught up in the scene over there yeah. and um, didn't want to come back, <laughs> as you do, uh, and and um, and then kind of progressed into kind of listening to, like, in the mid-90s, listening to funk music, you know, like, you know, you know back in, you know back into the back catalogue of, you know, whether it be Sly and a Family Stone or Grand Central Station or just, you know, that kind of, you know, really melodic funk, you know, and um, started collecting that stuff, started playing that stuff and started writing that stuff. And um, so all these different musical genres that I kind of shifted and moved through just have um, I've all attributed, I think, to my vocal ability, yep. you know, because yep. um, you find different ways to sing and, you you know, you emulate and you do whatever it is. But um but just the love of music. I think when you really, when you really love music, and 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 you're in that moment where you find, you know, you find that you kind of um, you you find something else within yourself to project. Um, but you, you know, you got to be, got to be, you know, you got to be in that moment, you know. Yeah. And that's where you, that's where you explore yourself, and you find that you can do other things, say vocally, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's all. So, so we've got a question from Janet Utopia. Are you going yeah. to do theatre? Theatre? Ah, oh, no, 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 I couldn't do. Th- I couldn't do theatre. No. no, I mean, I couldn't. I couldn't do seven seven shows a week, you know, and kind of just bust it out. It's like, no, thanks, I'm done with that. But um, I love your music too much. I mean, look, you know, given the right thing, I might my ego might allow me to kind of partake. But yeah, I, uh, you know, I I don't think it's um, something that I'd rush into. Um, sure. And uh, you know, unless it's um, replacing Bert Newton or something, I might you know, <laughs> an easy role. I might be okay with it. But <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. mate, as being that you're only 17 years old when all this started happening for you, do mm. you look back in hindsight? Do you think you handled it well? Was it a total mind fuck for someone that young? Do you look back and go, "Oh, geez, I would have done that in- differently in hindsight"? How well, is it looking back, I don't have any regrets. No number regrets. one. Yeah. <clears throat> no, no regrets. No regrets. regrets. No regrets. Um, but uh, yeah, doing it. Oh, look, I just think that you know, management back then, uh, they, you know, management back then were kind of high flying yuppies, you know, and they weren't nurturing enough. And I think that that's the only thing I, I think that um, is really important to an artist. Like it's like you know, when you get caught up in that that whirlwind and you're really working hard and they're kind of just pushing you out, trying to get you in a lull of gigs and stuff like that. And just, um, I think, you know, artists now are kind of more, almost a bit, probably a, a bit in a better situation being the fact that because they kind of, you know, produce their music from the ground, from ground zero and kind of get it, get it up there and, um, and, and kind of do a few gigs and this and that, and they become a little bit more in control. They're coming in from the, you know, the reverse end, you know, they're kind of already kind of, you know, viral sometimes, and then they're kind of getting management, so they can call the shots a bit more. Where there was too much importance replaced on managers in the in the eighties, um, and 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 their decisions were like, you know, the decisions of the demigod. You know, it's like, oh, okay, let's okay, whatever you think, yeah, okay, you know, blah blah blah. And 
I don't, they weren't nurturing enough, you know, yeah. that, that was it, you know, and they kind of didn't, they were, you know, we got work to the bone and so the last thing you want to kind of do is come off the road or something and go, you know, write, you, you know, and then you have six weeks to kind of try to prepare for your, your second album or whatever that is and it's, 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 um, it's a tough call, you know. Um, yeah. Don't don't tell me there's I'm sure there's some good guys out there. There's a couple of good guys out there, but you know, generally it's the same story with all of them, you know. Yeah. So, I, I know when I I played guitar for an artist that was signed with Sony. He was a um, a solo artist. He released two singles. First one made it to about number twenty in the charts. Yeah. Uh, in the top forty. And to Sony, that wasn't good enough. Uh, the next one sort of was a bit under that, and he got dropped after that. That was how disposable artists were back then. You know, to most people, having a, a number twenty song in in the charts is success, but not in some record companies' eyes. You know. Well, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that you know, one of the, like we, we were fortunate to have you know, Changing Mood is our first single, and bit <clears throat> we had bit of desire the second single, which was written in the studio because. You know the producer. The, you know the you know the you know the, the producer came out from LA in his pink jumpsuit with his kind of you know Russian Russian girlfriend and kind who, of went, who was that? Um, uh, David Kirshenbaum. Look, he's fantastic. Oh yeah, that. Yep, so, yep. yeah. And he did he did like Joe Jackson and you know yeah. I think some super trap stuff. But it was that classic LA. You know, yeah. everyone had to have the overseas producer. But all of the engineers out here. Um, we're doing all the heavy lifting and actually, you know, we're, we're setting the stage for these producers to come along. And half the time they were just on the phone kind of working out the next session. Mm-hmm. But to David's credit, it was a really good session, a bit of desire session, because it was it was nerve wracking for me personally. But, you know, it came out to record another song and then we, he walked into the rehearsal studio <clears throat> and we were just fleshing out this 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 tune, which became bit of desire, right? Yep. So it's a kind of, you know, and he, and he walks in and he goes, yeah, what's, what's that? And I said, oh, it's just a song we were working on. So I said, I love that. I love that. Play it again. And he's doing this whole thing, you know. Like, yep. And suddenly we're writing this song, you know, and, 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 you know, before we're going in the studio and it's not even written and we're going in the studio and here I am trying to flesh out lyrics and, you know, you're spending kind of, you know, a thousand bucks a day for about, buddy, you know, two weeks or something and I'm really stressing out about it. You know, I write these songs with a bit of desire and, um, and you know, fortunately I got got through it okay and thinking, well, well how's this going to work? But it, it, it came. It came together and, you know, released it as a second single. I went top 20 or something nationally and um, quite high in some of the, the state, eastern, eastern states. Um and you know, and then we, and then again we went on, you know, and then so we had that what, and then so we had two singles before uh, Mushroom decided, okay, um, let's do an album, you know, and so even then it was like um, Molly produced our third single, sent oh, cool. um, uh, something that you said. Um, he uh, he heard the demos, you know, we were uh, on about about to walk on stage at. Um, supporting the police for the very ever last show at uh, the synchronicity tour oh cool and you know we're kind of shitting ourselves and you know oh we're gonna play for like you know two months or something uh at this stage and we had a bit of a break you know we kind of put on these fancy new suits and 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 we're about to go on really and then you know moments before kadiski kind of comes in and goes, okay molly's heard the new single and uh, it's he loves it he wants to produce it we go you know this is this is molly you know the real thing you know it's like oh this is fantastic and we went on stage did the gig and um kind of came off and then we went in the studio with molly and it was a fantastic experience but in true Molly fashion, you know, it was, everything is on it. You know, suddenly there were strings and there was uh, this and that. And he loved the song and it was kind of a little bit overproduced. 
um, and we did a mix and stuff. And it was just like, there's a lot of stuff on it. And then we remixed that with uh, the guy then who became the um, producer for the first album, Shine, Mark Berry. And um, and he came and he kind of we whipped that into shape and did some fancy stuff and uh, Craig Harnett did some fancy stuff on the bass and the kick drum and just kind of got a bit more rocking and and that became a hit too. So we had three singles before we had an album out. Whoops, sorry, hit the microphone. So you know, and then and then and then the album comes out and you know, Current Stand. This is for the kids and kitchen fans. You know, Current Stand comes out and there's a huge hit. Um, and and so on and so on. So we end up lifting like six singles off that first album, you know. Wow. Wow. And we toured with that first album for what seemed to be um, oh, how long? Oh, yeah, probably a year or something, nonstop. Of yeah. course, there's you know there's lots of money to be made for people, yeah, except us. Um, <laughs> there's a very rich uh, manager. But money, money wasn't where, where we were at back then, you know. Yeah. But um, you know, it was, it was about just the the, the journey, you know. Yeah. How about um, lineup changes, mate? Uh, because Claude <clears throat> plays guitar for for Kids in the Kitchen, right? Um, yeah, yeah. He was he on the first on those first singles? Was that him on those? It wasn't, was it? Well, no. So it is kind of some <clears throat> unfortunate circumstances um, with you know with the lineup shuffles and changes. You know, it was like once again, you know, management got involved and made it really difficult. And um, you know, the first guitarist and the keyboard player, we did you know we did our second first single second single bit of desire. And it was over a video clip. You know, it was like. You know, everyone's getting a little bit headstrong, and that's that's fair enough. You know, they want you know wanting stuff you know to happen and at, at a level, and and these guys are in the band at the stage, Greg, they're wanting stuff to happen at a level, which is which is which is you know more than more than you know you know acceptable because we were at that level that we could have gone you know you know super you know virally globally massive at that stage, and um, so they were wanting to do things right and. Um, and so the second single, we were supposed to, we were, the, the video director said, look, hey, you know, um, uh, can you get, you know, Keith Herring's coming out, can you get him to do some graffiti art in our video? And they go, yeah, then they come back to us go, yeah, it's on, it's on, it's all happening, blah, blah, blah. And then come to the video shoot day and there's no talk or no sign of Keith Herring kind of going to be able to come, coming out to do it. And so the boys just decided, hey, you know, we're taking a stand here. You know, you promised us this. We're not turning up. <laughs> but they waited to the video day to do that, you know. So we're, you know, so half of the band's dressed, including me, ready to do the video, and they didn't turn up, and it cost money. And from that point onwards, it just caused, you know, the record company saying, you know, drop this money, and all the, all the back, you know, this is this is this will be in the book, I think. Um, but but the thing is, you know, it's it's a tangled web. It was you know, we could have worked it out, but you know, we once again management. You know they 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 broke you know, they kind of got involved and got in their ear and said look you got to replace these guys, they can't this can't happen. Um, I think in, into the second video it was a really it was a, an under budget video and and then I think that point when the guys rocked up and said this is rubbish too then they went you know you know because my my theory was you know you have to kind of suck it and see for a while you know and just yeah. until you get to that level where you can actually just be a, a print not you know be a kind of a big star and say look i'm not doing this or i'm not doing that so we're kind of just trying to you know tread on eggshells around the industry to get to the level we needed to but the other guys are a little bit you know were smoking guns you know yeah. um so uh, kind of short story long um you know the whole the whole thing with those boys is that we're, they're asked to move on, you know, and, and, and I wasn't really, that was, that's me. That's breaking up the chemistry, you know, mm -hmm. 
Um, but we were really fortunate enough to get and do the auditions. You know, we were auditioning, the auditioning days of auditioning people. It's like, you know, it's like a scene out of Spinal Tap, you uh-huh. know. <clears throat> yeah, Nigel Tufnell's coming in and stuff, left, right and centre. Um, and, um, and, you know, they come in and we kind of do the whole thing. And it was Claude Carranza, the guitarist at that stage. He came in at the very – got a call from someone oh this guy's pretty good by the way i think it was russell smith or something or something might have been russell smith the trombone player um gave someone a heads up about him and he came in completely unprepared but just came in and plucked his guitar and went bang and we just knew from that point on he was the guy he was the guy yeah yeah and so he kind of took on morphed on the greg style a lot you know the guitar chicken pluck a chicken thing going on the delay thing going on you know with the the u2-ish kind of stuff and um he took on that real, you know, really well. And then we, you know, we fleshed up and started writing our own songs. You know, we got, and we found, you know, Alistair Coyeras because there's two guys that replaced, you know, Alistair Coyeras, the keyboard player, and he's a really great player. Oh, cool. And he came in and played keyboards and just, and we kind of, you know, wrote these songs like Current Stand and Not The Way and, um, and you know, h- over half of the first album, you know, was written from that point onwards. And then, you know, so we were really fortunate to have these other guys. But, you know, the great thing about it now, the story goes, you know, the revolving door thing, you know, with the reformation of Kids in the Kitchen and, and things like that is that, um, you know, uh, now now Greg plays shows with us as well as Claude. You know, when Claude can't do shows because um, Joe Camilleri is busy, Greg does the shows. But, you know, but we also, we also understand that Greg is a really, you know, a, a important part of well, Kids in the Kitchen was too, and, and I know Claude thinks the same way, you know, and, and so it's, once again, it's a revolving door and, you know, we can... There's no rules, you know, to what we can do, and and the fact that you know the the the, the whole kind of um, scenario of uh, friendship has been repaired, and any ill feelings that are kind of gone now. We're kind of just we're back back doing like we did it from the, when we did it from the start, you know, for the enjoyment of it all. You that's know, that's totally great, man. That's and great. that's that's the most important thing about music to do that, you know. Yeah, because that that you mentioned the the delay, the U um, two style delay. Um, Change in moods are classic for that. Um, that is such a signature thing of your original yeah. player. Um, I got asked in a, a live chat uh, not that long ago what my favourite song to play live is, and I actually said "Change in Mood" with you because when you nail that delay part, it's awesome. I love it. Just the way it all bounces. You're playing half of what you hear, but it's just so. Well, we produced that song as a first single. We went up to Sydney and with Ricky Fatar and Tim Kramer. Um, Ricky Vitale used to be the Ruttles, <laughs> but he was actually a Beach Boy at one stage or something oh, too, really? right? Yep. So he was he was like the staff producer at Festival. Yep. Lovely sweetheart. And um, and Tim Kramer was a fantastic guy too. So we went up there and we did Changing Mood. We kind of flew up there, did a gig, I think a gig and a, and a, and, and the session. Um, and it was fantastic, but it was, I think, uh, you know, it was a big shift in, in like it was a, there's a change in tempo with it. You know, so it starts off with this kind of halftime thing and then goes into this, but the song naturally picks up by about four to five beats by the end of the song yep. where it gets faster. Yep. And, um, and and in the rules of, you know, music, you know, speeding up a song is a no-no, but yeah. this is the kind of, this is the, the way we wrote music, you know, and this is yep. the, and that was the, that was the beauty and the, the whole, um, you know, the whole oh, the, the lovable factor of the, of the Kids in the Kitchen songs and the, the way they came through, you know, on, on record. So, yeah. Yeah. So did you find that you had to learn a lot of the technology and stuff? You, you mentioned that you went on to owning a studio and stuff. Um, 
So yeah, was that something you had to pick up along the way using technology or? Yeah, look, I, I'm a good kind of wrangler and stuff like that. Like technology and stuff, I kind of got into and and but always had good people working around me. That's my my thing. Like like the musicians, you know, I've got this a couple of a couple of guitars here, and all of them I can't play very well, but. You know, my son's a bit of guitar, much better guitar player than I'll ever be. And um, and uh, but I've always been fortunate to have these great musicians and great talent. And I've had a really good eye for for that. You know, like uh, for going, you know, he's the guy, and just 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 knowing. And um, and it's not just the ability to play the music too; it's the personality too. I mean, you, as a, mother, a mate of mine, Mick Duracell says, uh, the bass player plays has been playing with me for about you know twenty plus years. He used to be in Black Sorrows. You know, see, people play like their personalities, you know, and and I believe that a lot, you know, that kind of comes out that way, and um, and yeah, just had a good ear and a good eye for that, and just you know, you know, you know, and I had the recording studio for ten odd years, and you know, had you know Johnny French, Johnny French was you know the the guy that kind of basically started the engineering. He was an engineer that uh, slash producer at kind of laid laid the ground for you know Australian music from the Skyhooks right through to you know to everything. Uh, to solid rock Joanna and stuff and all that kind of that that era. Yeah. Um, he wasn't doing much in the nineties and you know I kind of um, uh, I found I found his number from someone and came in and he started kind of tracking some music and recording some stuff and all those experiences are really fantastic to have. You know, spent the recording studio it wasn't you know we didn't kind of you know pull out a lot of you know cut a lot of great great you know released music but there's a lot of young bands coming through and we we're nurturing them and. Um, doing their demos and getting them to, um, you know, to deal level and, um, you know, and just kind of trying to keep the, the, the business alive before before the computers came in and ruined everything. <laughs> so you did touch on something just about, um, you know, you, you play like your personality and stuff. Uh, a good friend of mine, Pete Lyons, who actually knows Claudie's, does front of house for Black Sorrows when they're up this way, um, mm. always has said to me since I was quite quite young, you know, it's, it's not about how good you play. That's part of it. But it's all about being easy to work with. No one wants yeah. to work with a fuckwit, and no. you've got to be on the road with these people all the time. So yeah, you know, just be there on time. Yeah, I fucked up the first time I ever played with you. I got caught in a traffic jam, so I kind of almost lost my gig then and there. <laughs> we won't talk about that. Be on time. Just set set your shit up like that, and just have yeah. it, have it all work. Play the fucking songs the way you should. It's 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 overlooked. People, I think, spend a bit too much time working on chops and things thinking, yeah, I'm going to go play for all these guys, but they're a dick to work with and they're not going to get the gig. So it's, uh, it's one of those yeah, things it's, that people don't it, think about. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's important. It, look, it's just important. You need to know your people, you know? Um, and also too, I'm, I'm that kind of guy too, that, you know, will give, you know, someone, if someone, if, if you're working with professionals in a professional scenario where, you know, you've got to keep it, a level, a, keep things at a level. You know, if people mess up once, fine. But if they mess up, you know, two and three times, you know, you gotta, you gotta move on, mate. You yeah, know. Yeah. But I like to also give people the benefit of the doubt and give them, you know, second or third chance at the, at the most. But, yeah. but just people that are, you know, I just like, you know, it's important. I think at my age too now to work with pe- work with people in, uh, in the industry that are enjoyable to work with. You know, yeah. um, I think life's get kind of too short. You know, it's kind of ticking away pretty quick. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. I asked you about just the technology and how much on top of that you are, because the first run of shows I played with you, mm. we had we had the wrong keyboard player. We we had a guy. We knew it straight away. He was a, a piano guy, and you guys are all synth. And I knew it at rehearsal when he came in, and you guys were like, 
Yeah, that, that sounds uh, just cutting off a little bit too much. Can you adjust your, your synth, you know, mm. just a bit more mm. release and stuff? And yeah. I'm just watching yeah. this poor guy looking at his synth. And I, I know a bit about synths. I'm a bit of a synth nerd as well as guitars. I knew exactly yeah. where to go and all that. I'm watching this poor fella. And then you guys are all on him and you're throwing the terms at him. And I could see yeah. he wasn't understanding. So I thought, these guys, yeah, they, they know their shit. It was it, you, Brian, he, he was talking the talk as well. So, um, yeah, I, I gathered that along the way, you've uh, picked up all the technology talk. So, it's just yeah, well, look, dinner. you know, also, too, you know, the show must go on. You know, I mean, in that scenario, you can sit there and kind of, you know, the, the guy will know too if he's underprepared or he's not the guy. You know, sometimes guys get pushed into these situations, or, or there's an MD, so to speak, yeah. that um, you know, you 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 put your trust in, and and sometimes that's you know doesn't quite work out. Yeah. But but you, the show must go on. Yeah. So you know you don't want you don't want to kind of you know come in hard and do the you know there's some people out there in the industry that you and I know you know um, <clears throat> that are just bastards to work with you know like they're just they're just they treat their their bands like you know pieces of shit and um it's not how you get the job done not at all mate i saw a you documentary know, it, on um ginger baker from cream from um, yeah. cream no one to work with beauty. Him. um yeah it's a good doco though didn't he yeah it's a good doco <laughs> starts off with him breaking the other guy's nose right the, the is that yeah. the one yeah. yeah yeah um yeah. no one to work with him because he's a dick <clears throat> Doesn't matter. No, that's right. Doesn't matter how yeah. good you are. If you're a dick, you're a dick. You know. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But look, you know, it's um, look, Australians, it's the Australian musos. There's some great Australian musos, and um, it's like I know that if um, if like because they got you know they got like there's guys there's guys like you and the guys out of Sydney and and stuff like you go up there and they're kind of playing one minute they're playing with you know, you know. Someone else, you know, they're playing with some big names, and next playing with you. They're playing, they're kind of in they're, they're reading and they're, and they're, you know, they're reading off charts. They're doing different things, and um, and they're just full pros, you know, and and a pleasure to work with, and just do the job and get it done, and always smiling. Nothing's a problem, um, and you know, it's great that we've got these, you know, this, these these musos in this country that are, you know, that are the versatile that can do that, you know, but um, uh, you know, I think in, I, I remember kind of working. You know, working and going over the nineties, and then going to working with session guys in at, at, at uh, when I see my size stuff. Session guys over at over at in, uh, in London, and um, they just weren't cutting the mustards. <laughs> so I had to get the guy that did the demos with to come out, and then we just we just redid the demos and and clean them up and and release these couple of songs, and um, and. You know, you know, why did I think that, you know, why did everyone, you know, that's the whole, that was the whole stigma back then, you know, with musos weren't good enough or the industry wasn't, you know, engineers weren't good enough here. Yeah. You had to go overseas to do something, yeah. you know, to be, to, to get that next level. And, and uh, it's, it's the, um, it's the chemistry and the magic that's created. So I could, I was over there recording at Abbey Road, you know. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, went through studios and this and that, you know, and, um, um, using lots of Michael Kaniski's money at that stage, but you know yeah, what goes around comes around, I guess. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, and it just wasn't working. You know, for me to get this guy Don Nardi, who I wrote these songs with, and says, you know, is, is a great soul, and came out, and we just had a ball, and it's just smashed these songs out, and you know, they, they, they turned out the way we expected them to. You know, nice one. So, have you crossed paths with anybody? I'm sure you have along the way that you just go, no way, I just met, blah blah blah, or is it been a few of those along the way? Yeah, there's been a few of those, um, but it's kind of it, yeah, it's kind of after the fact. You know, I met like Andy Warhol. Wow. I met you know, I met Frank Zappa. I met 
I mean, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's like, and, and and I didn't really know who they are or they or they or they cred at that stage until years later. I'm going to go, oh my God, you know, you know. But I didn't cave or kind of buckle when I met them, and and as a result, you know, had you know some minor conversations, and you know, it was kind of, you know, that's what it was. Just going to water off a duck's back. Having a yeah. chat, moving on. It's like it's like when I meet sportsmen. You know, I, I'm so not. My kids are like, you know, know so much about sports and footy and stuff like that. And you know, I'll meet, you know, the captain of whoever it is, the Collingwood or whatever it is, and and everyone will be gushing. If you, I can't believe, you know, tell me about, you know, it's like, and it's like, what? Uh, is, is that who it is? Is it? You know, uh, so you know, it's kind of. I'd be the same, mate. I'd be the same. It, yeah. It's a bit like Z League, you know. You know, they just kind of you know prop up you know, these these situations, but yeah, there, there's a there's a lot there's a big card of different people I've met over the year, but, um, you know, the real the real idols that I would have loved to have met, you know, and all hung out with or something like that would be, you know, they're my bucket list, but um, most of those are gone now, but you know. Like the old funk players and stuff like that, just yeah. to be, you know, just to be on a fly in a wall and a sly in a family stone kind of, you know, recording or something would have been, you know, gas, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, we have come to that time, isn't it? Where like all the all our heroes from the seventies are all sort of slowly dropping off, and yeah. But that's just the circle of life, mate. It's just that's the circle, circle of life. Yeah, but you know, fortunately, you know, leaving behind great catalogs of music and stuff like that, and. You know, you never. The great thing about music is that it's timeless, and you never, you know, can always explore. And then, you know, you find out, you know, that you might go through life and go, oh, you know, well, I wasn't really into that jazz stuff then, but now you really dig it. You know what I mean? Um, so it's kind of like an ebb and flow, and it's just, it's just. I mean, you know, music's a gift, a gift that keeps on giving. You know. Yep. So mm. there was a question from uh, Richard Wells, an old school friend of mine. Hey, Richard, good to bump into you, mate. Um, and he's asking if you could choose yeah. any venue to play after all this bullshit that we said we weren't going to talk about is over. Uh, yeah. Which venue would it be, and why? Yeah, gosh, that's a, you know, um, what day is it? Um, look, I, I, I think it's just—I don't think it's the venue. I think it's the moment in time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's been some great ones. You know, um, great ones with our '80s. I do. I mean, every time I go to Sydney. Um, we played a Canterbury Hills and RSL, right? Not every time, or the Castle Hill RSL, but but it, the the um, Canterbury Hills and RSL in particular is just a beautiful venue, beautiful theatre. But you know we don't pull big numbers there. But we recorded an Ab, Ab 80 CD, which you can actually buy on eBay. Ab, absolutely, that is there. And now we did a you know A sides kind of um, previous release masters, and then B sides a live thing we recorded there. You know back about five years ago, um, and we always have a ball there, you know, it's a really special place. There's some just, you know, it's just, I like the rooms, you know, and the production, you know, and the in-house sound guys or that we use. I mean, generally we use a lot of in-house sound guys, but we sometimes bring our own guys in yep. um, because we figure the in-house sound guys know the room better than anyone else, you know, um, and sometimes, you know, and, and they're quicker at it, you know, quicker, the, the, the whole getting the, getting the thing up and sounding to a, a great level. But, um, you know, look, venues like uh, like the ones ones that are dear to my heart. You know, the old memories are kind of like the venue in the venue in St Kilda, which is now a, you know a motel or something. But yeah. you know, on the Esplanade, you know, and um, you know, right beside it was you know Bernardas, and then across the road was Bojangles, you know, where you know <clears throat> you know Chopperie used to hang out and stuff and whatever, and the Palais on the other side of the road, and you know. Um, so those venues, you know, because, you know, because not only – I think the thing about it was, you know, you go and see, you know, like, you know, the birthday party or Screaming Jay Hawkins or um, or uh, Simple Minds or something 
And then and then and Hunters and Collectors were, which were, which were amazing in that room. You know that that period when they were doing with, with when they had Greg Prano doing the guests guests sim, you know on talking to a stranger and stuff. Yep. And you just you know and then to play it, you know, to finally go. Oh my God, we're on the stage that you know we used to come here and on Friday night and line up around the corner down the road, you know, and suddenly we're on stage and at this venue. So there's each of them have their own. There's not there's not one you could kind of go yeah, you know, um, you know, my, Sydney my music bowl. You know, here I am. You know, watch. You know, here I am as a kid. You know, uh, two years prior to to being on that stage. You know, looking at the big M girls walk by and they're. You know, you know, and and you know, watching watching shows down there, you know, the mushroom concerts or whatever they were, and and then two years later being on that stage. So, it, it's it's they all have their own kind of um, fond memories, you know, with them. So yeah. Did you ever play the uh, the playroom up here on the Gold Coast? Yeah, I think so. I think that yeah, it was was that like in in central Gold Coast, wasn't it? Um, you could be thinking of the Bombay Rock, which was Bombay Rock. Surface. That's right. Yeah. 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 Playroom was one a bit bit further south, but man, it was just a purpose built venue. It was there yeah. for a good 25, 30 years. And yeah. it was a real shame when that closed down because that was an institution. But that's Well, I remember happened. I remember I remember Bombay Rock and I'm pretty fond of that one. That was always a good one. Yeah. Um I was just too young. That closed just before I was Yeah, I think we did we did used to headline there ourselves. I think we did a show with the Eurogliders there at one stage or something yeah. and so you know, it was the eighties, you know. <laughs> so, um, but you know, there was, but back then there was a, you know, that was the only place you you saw and heard about cover bands because you know Melbourne there was there was a couple of cover rock bands playing out in the eastern suburbs, you know. Yep. Um, but up up there there was still a kind of healthy cover band scene, you know, up in up on the Gold Coast because everyone used to go up there and you know party up there and you know bloody 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 meter maids, you know, Warwick Kappa, yep. a good friend a good friend of ours now. Um, so yeah, it was kind of, you know, there's, uh, there's so many gigs, you know, I mean, um, even, you know, Perth and, um, Adelaide, I mean, all, all the States, you know, they all have, you know, fond memories and even these little ones out in the country towns, you know, you kind of, um, you know, uh, they all have, they all bring great memories and not just that now, you know, it's not, it's, it's like even, even now we do these shows, you know, it's the same with, um, the boys, different, different, different collaborations, you know, you walk into a room, you think it's going to be a dog, and then you just have the best, you know, on the nights of your life, you know. Yeah. So, yep. yeah. You can never pick it. Um, no, I can't pick it. Yeah, yeah. No. Mate, um, I was pleasantly surprised when uh, I was talking to your son, Nash, uh, backstage at one of the shows that yeah. he told me that you had a, a few nice little guitars lying around at home. And I was like, I'm going to have to pick Scott's brain about those. What, yeah, what well, are, most, most of them... Most of them I can't play, but because it is a guitar show, I thought I'll kind of wipe the dust off a couple. It's music, mate. It's all music-related. Uh-huh. This is this is one. This is like the, the my white eighty Strat. It's missing a couple of strings at the moment, but it was um, it's been set up for Greg the craftsman kids in the kitchen. But that's why I haven't strung it up again. Um, but that one was an eighties Jack Strat, and um, this one was um, I was over in. I think I've already talked about the story, but I was over in New York at the time, you know, and uh, and um, I was coming home and I wanted to buy a Strat, and um, Steve Stevens, guitarist. Um, got this one sorted for me so this is the one i've had the longest um and it just plays so great it's fantastic um it's been set up set up by um uh, G- uh, jim cargill from cargill nice. guitars yep uh, he's fantastic he's down here he's you know so he's you know he's been doing it forever yep. um so great to have him on board he was actually our guitar tech on that first um one of our first east coast tours before when before he started right. okay yeah. i've played yeah. his guitars mate beautiful guitars 
Um, here's a, this heavy bastard. Nice. It's a, a, a 78 um, custom. I bet bit that sounds Keith, really bit of, good. Bit of a Keith Richards number. Yep. Yep. Uh, I think I don't think he played this model, but it wasn't far off. It was it around was this time. Very close, mate. Very close. Yeah. yeah. With the. Um, and this is this is a beauty. It's but it's a, just a, you know, it's like you know you can you can actually pump iron with this thing. You know, yeah. it's so heavy. Yeah. But uh, that's a beauty. Um, whoops. This one's um, this one's Nash, Nash's favourite. My son Nash. He talked me into buying this one. The flower pouch. That's an O2. Yep. Uh, this is a beauty. You know, it just it just feels great. It's a Japanese one, um, and it's a reissue. Yep. Uh, I think of a '62 or something. I think they've been in a '62 or something. But it's just got beautiful. It's got beautiful a beautiful paint job, and it's just light as a feather. It plays great um, for a telly, and um, yeah, just love it. It's a beauty. Um, uh, I'm glad you got that one, mate. You did text me when you were looking at that. Um, yeah, asking my opinion on it. Went, yep, I jump on that. I reckon it's worth about such and such. And... I, I always ask opinions um, from my peers. Oops. There you go. Just devalued that one. Um, I always ask opinions from my peers because you know I'd like to double check the zeal, doing the right thing. Um, but this one's one of my favourites too. I just love that. You know, it's a it's a uh, eighty nine Greco SG. Nice. So you know Greco, you know Greco did these great copies. Uh, as you know, mm-hmm. but it's in mid condition. It's just fantastic. You know, I've even played the. I've actually, I actually prefer it to you know some of the other ones, some of the real deals I've played. You know, mate, you, I, you, I, something like a Greco. Um, there's a whole series of Japanese guitars. And they call them yeah. lawsuit guitars. Who are making better copies than Gibson? And they Fender were, were yeah. yeah Greco's one of Greco's one of the leaders too. And I picked it up for you know I picked it up pretty cheap. And but it just it's just beautiful. It's just it's so clean. I don't think it. it you know. I don't think the tagger was still on it. It's getting can't play, can't be played. Don't look but, at it. Um, don't, don't point. Don't, 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 don't touch. Um, and this one, excuse my bump. Um, this this ugly bunch of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Tesco 1964, which I picked up pretty cheap. Well, these are these are great little jap. You know. Japanese thing too. Um, got, a, got a lot of personality. You know, you've got to be worried about turning the uh, pickups on and off. Yep, yep. <laughs> you, can, you can reset things down here, but uh, it's got a bit of a nice whammy on it. And, um, yeah, that was, that's a beauty. It plays well too. It's a little, little rock, rock beast. And, um, you know, um, yeah, it's just great. You know, I mean, they're kind of medium. They're kind of just low-end kind of guitars, but they've got a lot of personality about them. Absolutely. Um, that's the kind of so, thing that you'd probably use on a film clip because it looks so damn cool, but yeah, yeah. you would constantly actually, have a tuner on in the studio making sure yeah, it's Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, and then whoops, and then moving on from there, um, just to get a few guitars out of the way, yeah. um, this uh, fat lady's a beauty. Um, it's Cole Clark. Yep. And this is one that Lloyd Spiegel from Cole Clark um, uh, comped me. And thanks, Lloyd. Love your work. What a, what a guitarist. You heard, you heard much Lloyd Spiegel stuff? No, I haven't. I haven't. He's a blues man down here, man. He's just, you know, him, Jimmy Hocking, Jeff Atchison, all those boys, yeah. you know, they're kind of they're at the top of their league with the blues root scene. Um, Lloyd, Lloyd Spiegel, was it? Did you Lloyd, say? Lloyd Spiegel, yeah. Check okay. him out. Oh, um, I'm going to write that down but right the, now. The, guy, the guy's a mad player, but... Um, and a mad acoustic player, but he, I know he works. He's been recent years. He's been working at the Cole Clark factory as well. Yeah. But this this is a beauty, you know. It's kind of like you know, Cole Clark make great guitars, you know, and um, which is great. 
There um, is a there is a sound to Australian acoustic guitars to my ears. I don't know if anybody else agrees with me. Um, I had a bit of a shootout one day. Uh, there's a very fine guitar player up this way named Lisa. She's actually in the chat there. Um, yeah. And we rounded up about 10 acoustics. Um, and, man, they all sound so different. But there's just a sound about acoust- uh, Australian acoustic guitars to me. It's it's in the mid-range. Um, I, I think it's a, it's a Timbers too, you know, where they get – that's like this and like this they've got kind of some really nice timbers and you know some great guitar makers i mean i'm not i'm not a, i don't pretend to be a guitar enthusiast i just love you know i love beautiful things yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah. you know and and i just i noodle around play a bit you know nash is the guitar player in the family yeah. um uh you know so hence he kind of goes dad check this one out and go, oh, okay um, but this, this is my new little edition last year that I got this little troubadour, this skill thing, and it's um, nice. it's it's great little great little um, couch potato guitar. Yep. Um, and it sounds pretty great with it. it's got its own, you know with its the pickup and whatnot. Um, yeah, just it's a great little great little guitar. You know, it's just easy to just sit around and noodle on the couch. Yep. You know, so you know, um, so it's a lot of fun just to have nice things um, to, to play on, you know, and when, when, you, when you want to pull them out, you know. Yep, yep. So one um, thing I did notice with um, just the singers in absolutely 80s when I've been sitting around backstage is yeah. most of you guys play guitar. You can, you can play. Like I've had Brian Mannix come and grab my guitar and start playing away. I've been sitting there and um, Dale has straight out just hey man play me a b chord now go to down to you know f sharp point yeah like he he, he yeah. knows his stuff you know yeah yeah um so it's great that you guys are musical enough to be able to give that direction to to your players because you you know enough about the instrument um and as time goes on you know, i've seen david gilmore play alto sax live and <laughs> been absolutely blown away it was like since when's he's done that it was like well, yeah, if, like he, that. if he took that yeah. up in, say, 1990, and he was yeah. a veteran of the scene back then, well, yeah. that means he's been playing for 30 years, you know. So yeah. I guess it's something Yeah, natural. you forget that. Some people picked up, you know, stuff kind of late. I mean, I know Brian, that, with Brian especially, that he was saying that, you know, and uh, <clears throat> that, um, you know, we were all kind of doing some, you know, uh, no one wanted to know about the 80s and the 90s and stuff. And, you know, to put food on the table, you go out and do a, you know, a, a solo cover gig and you'd be playing in the corner and no one would be giving a shit, you know. <laughs> You know, sometimes, you know, sometimes, most of the time they would, but we you know what I'm saying. You know, it's yeah. kind of, it's that that kind of thing. So you kind of, um, you kind of reinvent yourself once again. You know, yeah, fleshing out a few chords, playing a bit of stuff, and um, and yeah, so it's it becomes a necessity. You know, it's like, well, I can't afford to pay another guy to do this, blah blah blah. You know, so. So then you have to, you're forced to reinvent yourself. But for me, I, I've been a bit lazy with, you know, guitar playing because once again, I've just played so many great players. And I just rather just go and go. I rather get get you in to do the session or someone else to do the session. And you know, I don't, I, I know where my strengths are. You know what I mean? Do you uh, play well the voice. enough? Do you play well enough that you could do a gig and just strum the chords? Uh, yeah, I could. I mean, I, I, yeah, I can, and and I have, and. I could, but I can't. I don't. It's not, I don't really like it. I, I just. I don't like playing live. You know, as with guitars. Yeah. I mean, it's something. It's something that's kind of. I feel like I'm. Um. Uh, it's. I don't, I don't know. Too. I'm too naked when I feel when I'm playing guitar and singing. But you know, my voice is my voice is the thing that kind of carries will carry right through everything. You know, I can. I can play. 
dummy guitar and um and lucky i've got the voice to, to hold it up you know and the music's not the music's you know the music's the second thing that you know people listening to you know yeah, yeah. well it works for elvis mate you, yeah yeah that's right <laughs> so yeah. uh, folks in the chat there has anybody got some questions that they'd like to throw at scott uh, type them in there we'll keep on chatting away here and i can come back to some of those Take a drink of water you're right mate you're right i will keep talking amongst myself then i'll have a look at what we've got here uh emma flowers i hope you play at rye rsl again almost likely. yeah well before this um covid19 thing i got a call to take come on guys come back and play so that's a, that was a bit of a bugger but we'll we'll definitely be back there i'm sure and if not later in the year in 220 221 um I'm trying to forget about 220 aren't we um so with all the dust settles and things get lifted restrictions get lifted um so yeah i mean <clears throat> i can't wait to get out and play you know i mean a, a few weekends at home and oh, look i've been i've been kind of enjoying enjoying it but it's it's like everything it's a bit same 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 it's like monday's same every day <laughs> so so you know it's um but you know look we're really lucky that you know we haven't got the problems and the you know the, the flat got a flattened curve at the moment and and um that we're all in you know we're all healthy and and uh and safe here in this beautiful country australia you know mm-hmm. i wasn't taking it that serious when they first started talking about it i thought it was all a bit overblown and it was a couple of friends of mine uh, in the States that messaged me and said, dude, we're, it is so bad here. Mm. Prepare, prepare. So, Yeah, um, well, you know, we, we, we've probably talked enough about the doom and gloom of that. But look, let's just, you know, hope in another couple of months. I reckon by by spring, everything will, you know, everything will spring, you know, sprung, spring, is, spring will spring. Spring sprung. will spring, yeah. Spring will spring. Mate, when we were talking a little earlier, we were just saying about how as a singer, you, you weren't mm. hip to back then about – hydration and looking after yourself on the road and you know mm. it was all beer and soft drinks and what things did you learn that you could pass on to anybody that might be listening uh that could save their ass um uh, look yeah look you do what you do you know you're, you're having fun living the dream but you just you just got to pull the reins in we got to pull the reins in you know if um uh you live by your mistakes <laughs> Yeah. You know, what yep. can I say? You yeah. can't, you know, it, it's it's something you can't teach. You know, you, the experience, your own experience is your own experience. But, um, but you know, just I think just the, the most important thing is just to, um, you know, to not lose your head. Remember that old, that old, that old cliche of, you know, what, you know, you know, what goes up must come down and, um, you know, and treat people with respect right through, you know, all the people at all levels, you know. And if you don't want to, if you don't want to have it, you know, if you, stay away from them if you can't, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, close, you know, just run out the back door, you know. But don't don't make an ass of yourself, and um, and remember that the people, the, the people that are there to see you are, are the, are, you know, the people also to keep you alive, and whether they're idiots or you know, they're annoying, uh, yeah. you know. They're, 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 they're your fans and they're, you know, they're the, they're the listening public, you know. You, you did mention getting some singing training later on yeah. in your career. Yeah. Um, one thing I have noticed is you've either got it or you haven't. You said early on you had it. I've seen people who get all the lessons in the world and they've got all the technique, but there's just something missing. And some people even seem to go backwards. Yeah, well, there's also those people that are delusional. You know, you see those, you know, those, those, these um, talent shows where people get up and they just believe they've got it, and they just obviously haven't. You know, mm. 
and they've got it in their head that they have and it's to me that's that's a cruel cruel blow to to have that 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 personality and that kind of um uh, you know idealistic view of yourself you know um you know, people love a humble person. You know, they love someone, even if they pretend to be a bit humble. You know, and and uh, they love that. You know, they don't they don't like someone that's too egotistical. Yeah. Um, gets them in the trouble. You know, yeah. um, whether they've got the talent to, to to carry it or not. You know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, but look, you know, it's, yeah, you've either got it or you haven't, kind of thing. But you can work at it. You know, like like everything. You know, um, you can actually work at you know, work at just being a great guitarist or work at just if you've got the, you know, you've got the drive and and you don't have to be anything special, but to yourself, you know, yep. um, to you, and for your own self-esteem, it's important. So my friend uh, Paul Morris at Tech Central is asking, and he, well, I've got him on as a guest tomorrow to talk about um, what little things musos can do to not ruin their gear. He says he's always doing repairs on things that can be easily avoided. So we're going to have a chat about that. But he's asking right, right. now, what backup band or opening band was the most memorable at your own shows? The most backing band. Look, I there's not one. You know, there's not one that's more memorable than the other. Like, like they're all to me. They're all all my all the musicians I work with are my equals. You know, they're kind of um, yeah. It's just, it's such a tough question to say. You know, to ask who the favorite backing band is, but. I think what he meant was um, uh, opening act when he said backup. Oh, opening yeah, act. Yeah, any, any um, particular opening acts coming your way and go? They're going to go places, and and they did. I'm a bit of a, um, I'm a bit of a, uh, how do you say, a goldfish. I, 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 you know, short term, I, I remember much of my past, thank God. So yeah. if I got me a lie detector test, I'd be safe, you know. <laughs> uh, hang a second. You're right, mate. It'll be it'll be someone from India trying to sell me something. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, I love playing uh, those guys. Yeah, um, yeah. I, look, opening opening act support acts are kind of. I think at one stage, I think yeah, that's right. Boom Crash Opera or opening act, opening for Kids in the Kitchen. Oh really? And, uh, yeah, and um, and they were opening act for Kids in the Kitchen, and then. Um, how do you say? Uh, and then you know they had a few extra hits, and we were kind of, kind of coming down. We were up down between singles or something, and then then they ended up opening for them. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah. that kind of thing was happening a bit, you know. Yeah. Um, with actually just one minute, you kind of. So this is the thing too. Remember where you are with it all, you know. And 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 we were not we're not we're not above ourselves to kind of go. Oh, we're not gonna. We're not going to we're not going to support them after that, uh, you know, after them opening for us, you know, a, a two years earlier or something. Yeah. Um. So you know, it's not about that. It's about you know, it, it's about the good night. It's also about you know, you were a bit a little bit competitive. You know, you wanted to blow the next band off stage a bit. You know, there's all that stuff going oh, there's on. Always that. Um, yeah, there's always yeah. There's always that. Yeah. Um. Which doesn't really happen with the absolute reality show. You kind of you just do your best, and you know, everyone else brings their own kind of their own kind of personality to it. Um, and does their thing and then moves on, you know. So, one thing I did notice playing with you in, in absolutely eighties is you're you're a bit of a prankster. You're a oh bit yeah, of a prankster. And I can remember first show we did two sets. The first show I went up to change my on my pedal board, press press a little something, and I I get a bit of a you pushed me back, and I thought, oh, did I cross the line? Did I did I was I offside, so to speak? Um, and then oh yes i think that was the, the thing i sometimes do was yes. it was and then the solid, second set solid. second set i go to change sound and i'm watching you because i'm balancing on one foot getting ready to hit that pedal and as soon as i raise that foot 
you push me over and I was just like, ah, I've got him. I'm onto him. He's a prankster. And ever since then, you'll always get one in where I'm just about to change yeah, the yeah, sound. Yeah, right. just, it's just right. And I love that stuff. Yeah, I think I think it's important. And that that personality, you know, keeping it real on stage is like, you don't belittle what you did, but, uh, you know, we always kind of always put in, I always try to put in the best performance I can with, you know, whenever, I, you know, it's, to me, it's always the best performance is the next performance, you know. Yep. And, um I always try to achieve that, but at the same time too, you know, you don't always have to take yourself so seriously. You know, to to uh, take the piss out of yourself a little bit goes a long way, especially in this day and age. You know, we're Absolutely. kind of, you know, we're seasoned pros. Um, people come to see us, come there for a good time, um, and you know, they don't want you know, they don't want you getting too 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 serious on yourself because they can see through you. You know, it's yeah. not. It's not like you know you're a young teenage fan looking at your your teenage idol and then kind of everything they do is just like you know amazing. But um, obviously, when you get to our age and our career, it's like it's about keeping it real, you know. Yeah. As soon as you start having fun on stage, it it, it carries on. Like when when there's a yeah, band and they're fighting it's on infectious. stage or something, yeah. it's not a good show. Yeah. No, it's infectious. But you know, it's uh, depending on the band, you know. <laughs> Yeah. You know, you know, you know, it's, um, you know, seeing Axel Rose give Slash a bit of a, a smack around is probably wouldn't be a bad one to see. Yeah, um. yeah. but uh, no, from the moment you guys rock up to rehearsal, um, you know, we'd be doing change in mood, and um, man, I will come up, give you a rub on the belly, and oh, change in food, and it's it's yeah, yeah, yeah. just the way you yeah. guys all are together, mate. It's absolutely gold, and that just yeah, yeah. carries carries across. And yeah, I that's must, right. I must thank you because we were about to go on stage one time um, mm. and you looked at what I was wearing and you saw it inside my suitcase and you went, no, 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 man. That shirt, those pants, blah, 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 blah. Blondie. And I put it on and, yeah, man, that was looking smick. I, I wear that outfit all the time now. And I'm, um, a bit of, a bit of a, I'm a bit of a stylist, aren't yeah, I? Yeah, yeah. And when everyone goes, dude, yeah. you look smooth, I go, you can thank Scott Kahn for that one. Yeah. Yeah, just a little, a little bit. Oh, look, I've been, you know, you know, when you know shoulder pads were hip and all that stuff, you know, you, you go through so many scenarios with you know um, uh, fashion designers and and um, and fluffers, you know, doing your video clips and stuff like that. After a while, you just kind of pick up, you pick up fashion tips, you yeah. know, you pick up, you know, a bit of flair about it. And I, I, I fancy myself as a, a little bit of a, a fashion guru, not. With what I'm so much what I'm wearing myself, but you know the ability to to you know get people looking a certain way, you know, especially the band. Or most of the band we we work with, you know, the bands we work with are great. But sometimes it's like I just pull some things stuff out of my just accessories, you know, just yep. a little bit of you know bit of you know bit of dust and uh, you know fairy dust, and it, it brings it up to another level, you know, absolutely, um, and, and creates a, creates a, creates the the whole the whole buzz and and vibe for what we're kind of you know trying to achieve, you know. Yep. So do yeah. you have uh, you're in your little home studio set up now? Yeah. No, this is just my office. Your office, yeah. okay. Have you yeah. got a little home studio? Yeah, I've got one out the back. Yeah. Um, what do you? The what boys. Oh, look, we're just I'm just running a small set. I mean, I used to have a big studio with you know little old dinosaur stuff, tape tape machines and whatnot, and. Yeah. Just sold a lot, a lot of it off, and now it's just down to a kind of a sound card and a, and a laptop, and you can do so much with that. Um, so, and just a couple of nice mics, and you know, away you go. You know, it's not, um, but the, the, it's to me, it's more about the the rooms themselves. This, yeah. you know, the soundproofing of the room, the the absorption, and all that stuff, and the you know, the, the standing waves, and blah blah blah, um, and just getting those rooms right. Um, and so we've got a nice little 
live drum room slash vocal booth. You can kind of put a few people in there. It's really tight, but but it's you know just a an isolated booth, so to speak, and then just a little control area. But you know, it's, the boys are showing lots of interest with music. You know, they're both Nash is quite into his guitar playing, and you know, he's, he's, you know, and Dylan, uh, my younger boy, he's he's the drummer. You know, he wants to. You know, he's the next John Bonham, apparently. Yeah, um, nice. Yeah. And that's what he says to me. But, you know, I said, well, okay, okay. Let's, let's see. Let's go for it. Okay. And um, so, you know, hence me, you know, rushing out and getting him a 24-inch kind of, you know, big beat ride and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but, but, um, but yeah, so it's it was kind of a little bit musical around here, which is great. And, um, and especially with this whole kind of lockdown thing, it's, you know, it's so great to be kind of just, you know, fleshing out and playing a bit of music. You know, the boys, especially the boys, taking up a lot, a lot with it. I'm kind of now kind of going through demos and old stuff. I had unfinished symphonies and um, putting those together and actually, um, you know, set up a label with a, a parent company called Zellon and we're just um, releasing back catalogue stuff and stuff that my friends need getting out there and other other projects and yep. things. So, yeah, it's it's been a kind of good time creatively to sit back and kind of go take stock about what's going going on you know moving forward for us you know for me personally so but you know i'm in a very fortunate position so you know um and um but just to reflect on that's great and i know a lot of other pe- musicians and people who reflect too they kind of go hang on saying what am i doing you know what am i doing here what am i living here um let's 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 move on and try to reinvent ourselves and so it's, a lot of that's happening at the moment with peers and people i know so it's it's that's the that's the light at the end of the tunnel with this whole thing you know mm-hmm. um so let's just let's just buckle in and see how we go. Stay safe and and take care out there, and that's that's what we're going to do. Well, it is interesting. Uh, we we actually spoke last week and just mentioned the amount of live streams that are happening uh, since all this went down. And I went, oh, I'm going to take a break for it for a little while and let everyone get it out of their way. Uh, mm. It it could lead its way to different times depending how long, how long this takes to to settle. Um, and people are talking about drive-in concerts, uh, which is a a novelty. Um, oh, look, it'd be great. Look, you know, for, for the rockabilly acts, you know, that, you know, it'd be fantastic. I'd be great to go and see, you know, the straight acts and the detonators play, you know, chop it out with the double bass and, you know, and, and, and the great cars come out. But, you know, um, but look, you know, where there's a will, there's a way, you know. It, it, I think that with the relaxing of when it starts relaxing a bit, you know, there'll be ways and little events happening and popping up. And, and once again, there's a lot of great stuff. There are people who have, I saw Kevin Borridge last night do a, um, his first little um, Facebook Live thing. And it was like, you know, it was like, oh, toot, 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 how does this kind of work thing? But he did it, and um, it's been great for a lot of people, and, and it's actually been really bad for a lot of people, I've got to say, too. Yeah, yeah, some, of, about some, of, the, some of them were gone. really, did you, did you really think this one out very well? Um, but, you know, it is what it is. You know, it's um, uh, it, it's it's reinvention, and uh, you know, people got to eat, you know. Like, I, I, I'm really, really feel for the musos that are hand-to-mouth. There's a lot of hand-to-mouth musos out there that that do pretty tough and um, they've done it tough even before the, the COVID thing and um, just getting through this one's a quite stressful thing for them all. So, um, yeah, thinking about you, fellas. Yep, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Well, I think we yep. are lucky in Australia. Very lucky with the... Yeah, we are lucky. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, we can, we can get into everything with this, this this whole thing, but I'm kind of, you know, at the moment, I just like, you know, I'm glad to not <laughs> get too, yeah. Same. Too opinionated on what's happening with the COVID thing, so... Yeah. Yeah. Mate, um, anybody in the chat room have any other questions they want to throw at us 
before we round things up. Let's just see. I'll keep chatting, Wallow. If anybody adds anything there. Uh, great listening to your wisdom, Scott, being a teenager in the 80s with Countdown uh, on the telly and such a wealth of Aussie music. Countdown, oh. that was a great thing, wasn't it? Oh, mate. It's... Uh you know, to be you know to be watching it at six o'clock on Sunday and then to be on it, you know, on the show and then comparing it a couple of times and stuff. It was just like you know we were we were quite a fixture in the in the mid eighties with it. You know, Molly loved us and um, and the public loved us and um, you know we kind of fit the bill. You know, for you know pop stardom back then and um, had a great run with Countdown and the fact that you know everyone who dug music and even didn't like music were kind of would sit down. It was like the Holy Grail, you know, sit down there every, every, you know, and whether they picked it at it or not, they would sit there and, and, and look at the show and, um, and, uh, and take it all in. And if you got played on that show, you kind of, and you, and your song was catchy, you know, you got broken, you know, radio would pick it up and away you went, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, with with you know the digital platforms now, it's just it's it's you know it's some great you know some great avenues to get your music heard, but there's so much kind of coming at you from all directions that a lot of it gets thrown by the wayside. But to have countdown throwing it at you and everyone you knowing that everyone's glued to that 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 show, and even Donnie Sutherland sounds. You know, I reposted some photo the other day from Donnie, and Donnie was a huge part of it as well. And then you know then you get you go down the line a bit, you know, with night moves and. And other shows that were kind of there, but th there's none other than Countdown was the number one, and you know, and Donnie was a big, big part of it too. And um, you know, to have that um, outlet, um, that condensed listening, is uh, is gold. It was phenomenal. So, what type of, uh, of artists really inspired you when you were young that were on those shows? Um, was there? Well, to me, it was a pretty quick rise to success. I mean, you know, the, you know, I. I didn't start listening to music till I was 14 or so to speak. You know, I used to ride motorbikes and then, you know, and then I went to school and um, and popped in with popped into this guy who played guitar. He played a little white strat and and um, he was he was fantastic and he um, he kind of turned me on to the whole thing, you know, the, the music and I was just gobsmacked and he uh, from that point on he said to me, look, you know, do you want to um, do you want to come play in my band? I said, I can't play in your band. You know, I'm just a, I'm just, a, I have no idea how it all works. And so, um, so, he, so I bought a bass, started playing bass with him, and um, and uh, kind of, you know, got got a vibe going. And uh, but it wasn't good enough for his band. So, went and played with a neighbouring school band, um, Magnetic Force, and that's where I found out my, I had the voice or whatever. But um, yeah, but it was, I was into the heavy rock stuff, you know, and. And, you know, that's kind of, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, Deep Purple or Led Zeppelin and that whole thing. And um, and so so I was at 14 and, you know, and here I'm three and here I'm three to four, three, three, three to four years later and I've got a hit single. So I was just music was my thing. You know, it's a, it obviously was something that I connected with me and I didn't know it, I couldn't come from a musical family. So I didn't know it existed in my, you know, my my psyche. Um, but it was a great outlet for me to kind of, you know, to um, to release my 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 you know my my uh, pressure cooker of, of 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 childhood youth, you know. So um, so yeah, I was really fortunate fortunate to have that. But it's kind of funny now that you know I've got sons that are you know listening to Zeppelin and 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 
and lots loads of different things and um and so I'm kind of, so i'm kind of going back listening to black sabbath again and going wow how good is this you know and yeah. I, I did listen to it back then but you know i couldn't afford all the albums you know so i didn't get a chance to hear all the stuff and and um so now it's like oh wow it's just great it's a great environment to kind of go back and rediscover that stuff again you know absolutely absolutely and i must thank you for the greatest uh, i'm just going to go take a quick whiz cover up ever <laughs> oh okay yes yes that's why i Put it to you and just went, but we're back. Um, back. Mate, I have noticed that a lot of the kids now are starting to appreciate their parents' music. Well, yeah, some some parents. (laughs) But, you know... um, you know, I'm fortunate enough. My son doesn't like Justin Bieber, but then, but then again, I think my my older son Nashit, he was at one stage he he didn't mind Justin Bieber for about two seconds, yeah. um, and I thought, no, please, no, no. Um, but but yeah, no, they got great taste in music, and you know, and I turn them on to things too all the time. You know, Nash is into, you know, a lot of the kind of post punk or pre post punk stuff, pre post punk stuff, really like the Stooges and 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 lots of that kind of you know MC Five and all that kind of kind of wacky stuff that. I, I touched on and listened to, but I didn't really kind of listen to. So I'm, I'm listening to with fresh ears too, you know, and also some of it for the first time. And um, they have that um, uh, that camaraderie and, and balance of stuff going on um, with the boys and music. It's great. Really good. Awesome. Scott, thank you so much for your time, mate. We've, we've been chatting. Yeah, nice chat. Yeah, an hour and a half there. It goes quickly, doesn't it? Oh, gosh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, folks, Thank you for your time. Um, We're going to sign off and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks again, Scott Kahn. See you on the ride. Bye Thanks, Rick.